Albion across all disciplines uh, lost a combined scoreline of 13 to 1. Yeah, the under 23s got absolutely trounced, didn't they? And the women just got battered 4 0 today by Spurs as well. Um, So, not a great weekend for the Albion for episode 162. Uh, Uh, Dennis uh, Undav, though, there's one shining spark in it. We'll just live live vicariously through Dennis Undav. Yeah, (laughs) yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah, I, I mean, I am slightly living vicariously through usg in general at the minute with the run that they're on um mikey's been advised to take binoculars to st james's park with him uh i believe i've never been able to go to st james's but i am uh well advised that the stairs to get to the stand is worse than anything that you get when you even get into the stand the stairs are apparently an absolute shit show so you're you're very high up very very high up (laughs) Enjoy, uh, Mikey. It'll be a heck of a trip. Um, and hopefully, hopefully we can come away with something, uh, but we'll see. Um, today, we will be talking about Spurs away. Um, not the greatest of games, was it, really? <laughs> um, it says a lot that we're five minutes into the live broadcast and we haven't even brought it up yet. Um, this was not Potter or the players' finest hour. <laughs> Um, we lined up not particularly well at the beginning. A uh, couple of changes in the lineup. Obviously, Big Dan Burn is gone, so Lewis Dunk stepped in. Uh, Solly March went to that left wing back position. No Trossard due to illness. No McAllister due to COVID. Wepu's still not ready. Uh, we had the dynamic central midfield of Pascal Gross and Adam Lalana, um, known for their pace against the team that liked to play on the break with Conte. Uh, it was not particularly great. First 45 minutes, uh, we lined up with three at the back, uh, despite what some saw at, at the Spurs Stadium yesterday. Um, and that was really, and like, instead, it's not just a dig, but it's genuinely the entire philosophy of why we got such a shit show of a first half, because that three at the back was the absolute downfall from the work go, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. You know how I feel about this. I always prefer us playing with four at the back. I think it just, we look a different team. We look far more direct and, and we allow ourselves to develop the onus because when we play, when we play the three at the back, we get very, very, very in the weeds of this play out from the back uh, setup that Potter loves and that was the undoing of us for, for the for predominant half of the, the first half, not helped by a, a quote unquote bad day at the office for pretty much, I mean, most of our players, if you want to call them that. Um, like Webster was, Webster has a pretty bad game in him every now and then, but this was what his worst game in memory for me in an Albion shirt. Um, like at fault for the first goal, essentially he scored an own goal a little bit later on. Yeah, the Dan Burn situation, we can get onto that, but like, come on, like, you tweeted this out as well. Like, it's not like we just sold uh, like Cristiano Ronaldo in his prime to Real Madrid. I like, we sold Dan Burn, we've lost a little bit of depth. Okay, it's we didn't lose or what this game at all. Dan Burn's impact was irrelevant in my mind. Maybe one defensive screw up would have been re- removed and we'd have lost 2 1 instead. Who knows. But to summarise that that whole tactical setup in the first half, we just played completely into Conte's hands. Like he saw, he, he knew how we were going to play. He was like, 
what have we told everyone on this podcast time and time again? How do you beat Brighton? You wait and you let them beat themselves. You pr- you press high. You you don't make it comfortable for us to play out from the back, and you counter us. And they're set up perfectly to do that. And they have pacey, skillful players that push on in the attack on the counter, and they destroyed us. I think we made it too easy for them, didn't we? So you know, to address the the knee jerk reaction of Dan Byrne and telling us how big of a hole that is that's irrelevant based on the first half yesterday um that's a rusty performance from dunk who's been out for a while yeah. like you said webster had that off game that he tends to have in him and trying to play kukurea in the middle <laughs> as part of that three what a isn't, waste isn't it isn't him, isn't going to happen so you know I don't, I don't want to go and make massive assumptions, but if you want to play five at the back and we wanted to play a certain game plan, I feel like Potter's tried to put a square peg in a round hole there by putting Kukurea there. Um, you had an option of Shane Duffy, but we went ahead with the game plan that was probably drawn up before Ben left um, and, and tried to play that five at the back when you had yeah a, an off day for Webster, a very rusty day for Dunk, and Kukurea, who just doesn't naturally play in that position. Um, so combine that with the fact that tactically Conte was set up to play against a, a back five anyway, um, you're asking for yeah a very, very abysmal first half, and it couldn't have got much worse, um, apart from the fact of a fluky second goal as well, which we'll talk about. But I, I just feel like we got it completely wrong. And then to Josh's point, the dynamism in the in the center mid um with, with gross and lalana I, I will say that i think they did have a good game and then lalana was promptly pulled off at half time i'm not entirely sure why but yeah it was it was a weird first half and i think we could only get better in the second i don't i don't think that gross or lalana played particularly awful yesterday but they're not mm-hmm. they're not a duo that you want to be defending a counter attack and that was there was just a massive hole in the midfield whenever we broke because those two were so far up um i think it's safe to say that any doubts uh that clubs may have had around basuma throughout january with him being gone at afcon were swiftly wiped away again um if they are if they are capable of being influenced by one such game uh, which is probably highly unlikely but he was uh, outrageous yesterday um mm-hmm. let's talk about that first goal uh, because we do want to talk about the mental second one as well. Sanchez, first of all, lucky to get away with what he did. So Adam Webster. Before, we? Adam Webster, like you said, Adam, he is prone to a dodgy game. And I find that they tend to be games after breaks that he is incredibly poor. He's always prone to more and more errors when he's when there's international breaks, when he's ha- coming back from an injury or he's coming back from a suspension. That lack of game time, for some reason, he is he is a player that benefits from and probably why he was so well sought after in the championship with the fact that they just play nonstop. He was he is just so much better when he's got a regular like run of games in him mm-hmm. and he grows and grows and grows. But when he comes back from a break, I swear to God, I feel like not only is he bad, but it's always against good teams. I feel like we're always rolling up against a Man City or a Spurs or someone like that right after a break, and it's even more catastrophic. Um, Donkey also didn't cover himself in glory, did he? Showed Kane right onto his favoured side. Uh, and and Sanchez, I don't think there's really any keeper could have done much of anything about that. Pretty good finish, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Harry Kane's not a bad finish, is he? Uh, but yeah, it was, it was set up for him. 
you, uh, I think you're absolutely right. But Webster was like, it's almost like he decided to do something. Like he was about to hoof it and then was like bailed on it, but then like clipped it with his foot and just scuffed it out. And then you're right. Yeah. Dunk was just blocking Kane's left foot strike, which is an interesting tactic to, <laughs> to try and go for. Uh <laughs> The, the Webster thing's interesting to me, though, because not two games ago, Twitter was just, when's when's Southgate going to call Webster up? And here we are, fickle football fans. N- nay, two games later, well, like, always a bit of a liability sometimes, isn't he? So maybe he fit perfectly as an England centre-back, to be honest. So yeah. <laughs> It was a tough one, I think. Yeah, it just It just struck me as rustiness I, I think just if we encapsulate Webster and Dunk into one conversation just around the break not doing either of them any favors so uh, really didn't help against what is a very sharp Spurs team that Conte's got playing that we fell straight into their hands as well so um, and there's, there's no complaints really uh, you, you go you go one nil down and and then it's piled on with one of the weirdest goals I've seen in recent memory. So uh, I'm baffled, baffled by that. I didn't really know what I saw when it when it first happened, but it's just one of those where you, your luck's down on the night as well. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. Uh, Mikey in the chat says that he felt like we didn't have enough at the back and not enough up front. Um, and I think that he's really spot on. We had a returning Lewis Dunk from injury who was obviously rusty. We had an Adam, Adam Webster who just can't deal with breaks in game time whatsoever. Uh, and you had Kukurea playing at centre-half where it shouldn't be. So our defence was already not in its best shape at all. Um, and then we obviously didn't have enough up front either because we were missing Leo Trossard. Um, and every time he doesn't play, I see a bigger, a bigger miss from him every week. Um, he is becoming more and more important. I think personally, as the weeks go on, um, and and whatever Potter Potter put in the tea that morning, he shouldn't do it again. Uh, yeah, I I I, did, I can't disagree with that. Um, it was not our greatest performance. Um, second goal, though, a little bit harsh, wasn't it? Uh, I thought Solly did a really good job of tracking back. Uh, he's a quick little shit, isn't he? He's deceiving how fast he is sometimes. Solly March. Um, he came back, defended well. Uh, to me, I, I saw some people saying on in the on Twitter that he defended it badly, but it, he he was pushing him. He was pushing him to the. He was pushing him out of 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 the the pitch. That was where you want him to go, right? You want him to go to the byline, like you don't want him to go. You don't want to give him a chance to cut inside. He did a really good job, I thought, of doing exactly what you should be doing at that point and defending that. Um, and the goal itself, I I text you guys. I don't think I've seen a goal like that ever in my life of watching football and as as Albion fans we've seen a lot of dodgy football <laughs> league games go on uh we've seen goals that aren't goals we've seen nets with holes in them we've seen all sorts of random shit uh don't think I've ever seen one like that mm. what the hell was going on there and and some people said Sanchez had had a mare there no I'm sorry this it was a physical anomaly I've never seen anything like it I, I the notion of just scapegoating whenever we have a bad game is starting to infuriate me in terms of what what people are saying. Dan Byrne would have saved it. I mm. Yeah, well, he wouldn't have had to. <laughs> all he had to do is stand up. Yeah. Um, so it, I think 
he's defended that as expected. You put him to the byline. There's no one in the box anyway. So Royale's trying to cross it to someone that isn't there. We safely deal with it 99 times out of 100. It comes off the toe of his boot. It le- loops over Sanchez. And you're like, okay, that that's that's how tonight is going to go. Um, very weird. Very weird. But I, I don't think anyone's to blame there. I'll tell you who is to blame. Um our attackers because it was another counter-attack and despite the fact that we have plenty of players back in the box um if you don't give the ball away when you're pushed high up the pitch and let uh emerson Royale sprint down the byline you don't those freak goals can't happen but it was another lapse in concentration another bit of loss of possession up at the, uh, the far end of the pitch and we just get screwed over by putting ourselves in that situation yes the xg on that one would be pretty damn low but yeah i i haven't been that disappointed by a royal since the prince andrew news um i just the the other thing that we have had that saved and yeah you've had that uh, written down yesterday weeks (laughs) weeks. uh i was tempted to go with a burger king royale reference uh but i went with that and said um The other thing we haven't touched on yet is just how you talked about Trossard, but Mope looked like a League One striker yesterday. Um, And I know that we've been very supportive of Mope and we've talked about the things he does very well, but I'm starting to get to the end of the plank a little bit with him. Like he's... He can't take simple chances. Like that the, the one he had in the... I think it was the second half where he was just one-on-one and all he had to do was the one thing he didn't do, which is, all right, Mope, don't gently chip the ball into the keeper's hands. Like that's all you don't just, you could go anywhere else and you score. And he just goes, eh, I just, what are you doing? And so many bad touches, so many like weird decisions that he had. He just, he just wasn't there yesterday at all. It it's the service though as well, isn't it? Well, I think we, we talk about this a lot and he missed two very good chances yesterday. Basuma with the back hill in the first half, he swiveled on it. That's a tough chance, but you put that on target. Yeah. Um, yep. The second one, inexcusable. I think you need to, if, if in doubt, hit it as hard as you can, get it on target. Um, I mean, most some people will say I like the idea, but there's a time and a place. Uh, you probably should just make sure you hit the target from there. Um, but it, we and we've spoken about this before on previous pods, just around the service that he has and the ability to get him the ball in those right positions. Um, yesterday was one of those times where he got the ball in the right positions. He just didn't take it. So you should have scored at least two goals in my mind. That as you're right, that. Basuma chance that that play from Basuma was incredible too. When he, I think he laid it off to gross it was a bit of a one two and then he did that back heel in the box yeah. and then mope just shanked it and, um, and yeah it's, it's a good chance and he's he swiveled on it and he should be hitting the target and yeah. so you know we we sit here a lot and we we talk about you know the chances and if mope gets the chance then he takes it um yesterday was not one of those days um yeah whether I think he's he's plenty good enough, I think it's just again he needs to be taking those chances to get from the tier striker that he is here to the next level. Um, and what Morpe's what twenty five now, twenty six. I mean he's starting to get to that point where he's he's going to be in the prime of his career in the next couple of years. Um, and if 
he needs to be taking those chances if he's going to, you know, continue on the trajectory that this this team is on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Undav would never. He would he would never mess up a chance like that. And I look forward to improving me right in the coming months uh, at the Albion. Um, to me, it kind of it's it's one and the same that they're, they're linked together. I think Mope's shit performance yesterday because it was appalling. To me, it's fully linked to the lack of Trossard. To, to me, I think what, that Trossard didn't have to finish those two chances for him. Like Trossard being <laughs> there wouldn't make that. a difference. But as a general performance, barring those two, because he does those all the time, he misses things all the time. The more time you give, <laughs> yeah. the more time you give Neil, the worse he is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Neil's general play was shit yesterday too. Outside of the usual of missing of chances, he was. He's a volume striker. He always has been. He always will be. And the the more time you give him, the worse the worse he seems to be. But I think that generally he's at his best as a general performer, more and more so when Leo is with him. Um, and without him, he looked utterly lost yesterday. There was there was nothing. He offered nothing. He was poor. And that back line of Spurs is not the greatest set of centre-halves in the world. Um, he should have been able to cause them problems, and he, di- he didn't really. I mean, one of those opportunities he got was a superb bit of play from Bissouma, who cut them apart on his own, and the other one was from a slip. So neither of them were really carved out by Neil at all either. They were they were really individual pieces of work on either side uh, that, that gifted him with a chance, and he didn't do anything with either of them. Um, well, he did also, he, he did have a nice little layup play where he set up, I think it was Moda, because that, and this is the other problem, right? If Mope doesn't finish, uh, you look at your, your team yesterday and you go, and you're starting lineup, you're like, all right, if Mope's not scoring, who, who can he set up? How many times have we talked about Moda's finishing? And we saw that two chances yesterday. Awful. Um, that, Adam Lallana, although again I thought he had a pretty good game, as as, as Craig said for the brief stint he did have. You um, wouldn't want him laying up a shot, though, would you? No, <laughs> not on the current I, with this. But that's it. Who who would you? Who would you in that lineup? Who do you want actually taking the shot if it's not Neil Mope? If Mope's not finishing, who who can finish in that side that we put out? The that's, answer is no one. And that's that's the thing, isn't it? Is we we, we talk about Mope, you know, not taking those chances, but they were, you wouldn't want them to fall to anyone else in that team yesterday. Um, you know, it is very it's a very strange conversation to have. It's like, well, if you're the only person that can finish these chances, you do need to take them, and that's where the added pressure for Mope comes. Uh, that's why I was a little confused. Welbeck wasn't in the starting lineup or didn't come in earlier into the game. I mean, he was brought on in the 70th minute. Like he's your guy. He's your out and out finisher. Um, yeah, well, I think I, I think we got the answer to that though, didn't we? In the post match conference, Potter said he'd been dealing with illness all week. Mm. So I think that uh, I'm going to say that that was probably his reasoning behind it. Danny may well have felt a hundred percent. Um, he said that there'd been illness go through the camp and it wasn't just COVID, it was just illness. Trossard isn't COVID positive, it's just illness. Um, he said that Danny and a few others had dealt with it. That could may have also been the reason why neither Duffy or Veltman started in, as opposed to Kukurea at centre-half when both of those should have really took that spot. Maybe yeah. 
maybe Duffy's still dealing with the COVID afterwards. Maybe Veltman had the sickness that other people have had. Obviously, we don't know on those two, but we do know on Welbeck that he was he was coming off of illness. Um, fair. But the, uh, say one thing, uh, Lalana straight off at halftime, Veltman straight on, uh, and we saw a bit of Moises Caicedo yesterday. Yeah. Uh, Solly March off. We'd reverted to a back four at this point, so Solly was kind of just not really anywhere. Uh, we so went to a back the... four in the second half. According to key Brighton influencers on Twitter, I was told that we started with a four and <laughs> went to a three. Well, um, we know that there are disinformation campaigns going on. Yeah, and, it's crazy. Um, I really we need to be yeah. aware. Wow. We need to be aware of these things that are going through. I have to be smart about who I listen to. Sorry, go on. Yeah, the Russians have infiltrated BHSC Twitter. Because <laughs> 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 I think they're to blame with every, every, just about everything these days. Uh-huh. Like them and China. Um so, yeah, we had uh, Caicedo come on uh, for Solly. Um, was happy to see him, just just to see him, really, just to get an idea of what he looked like because we'd never really seen anything with, about him. Uh, two minutes later, coincidence, Basuma scores. Uh, Caicedo may well be the man to lead us forward uh, with, with that unbelievable influence there. Um, another unbelievably lucky deflection, wasn't it? Um, it did actually looked like a rare shot on target regardless from Pesuma from outside the box. Um, <laughs> but it took a nasty deflection off of whoever it was that sent it off yeah. uh, into the back of the net. And it looked like, you know, we'd start, we'd come out the traps pretty well in that second half. We'd reverted to that back four that Adam is so in love with and it was working. And it looked like game on at this point and was swiftly extinguished by yet another... <laughs> shit show at the back uh, by the Albion for, for Harry Kane to, um, I don't really think I should be calling it a Harry Kane goal, uh, but um, it was, it just gave so much hot, like it was almost a full tribute to the Lewis Dunk kickups into the goal against Liverpool all those years ago in the FA Cup. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. It was a shocking bit of defending from just about everybody. It and was a clown point, fiesta, absolute clown fiesta. It was fiesta. game over, I think. It happened, yeah. so, it happened so quickly after the goal as well. So, you know, you, you get your tails up and you're ready to go, start making a meal out of the last 20 minutes or so. Um, and then just a dagger, but a self-inflicted dagger because there's awful defending. Um, and I'm not entirely sure what even happened. But um, <clears throat> similar to what we're seeing in the chat as well, just masters of our own downfall and creating difficult situations for ourselves. Um We've almost got a motto now of, of letting us beat ourselves. So um, you start to think, okay, really good. Basuma grabbed this game by the scruff of the neck when it came to the second half and, and decided to make a meal out of it himself. Uh, and as soon as he, he gets his rewards for it, um, another shit show at the back, and it's pretty much game over from that point. It's annoying. <sighs> and games like this, when you're playing against strong opposition away from home, Really, you just want to get to... Uh, and Potter's good at this, right? We, we've talked about this before. He will make a change and completely alter the system if he realises it's not working. And he'll, and he'll do it as soon as he can. Um, but when you can see two goals in the first half, like imagine if Webster didn't forget how to play football and Emerson Royale didn't score a, a Twilight Zone goal you go into the half, maybe you go in one down or, or you're going at nil, nil. You change the tactics. We come out with that like completely different onus. We're on the front foot and your fortunes can change. 
Um, it's just, and and then you go and shoot yourself in the foot. So I guess what I'm saying is that in an alternate universe, that game could have just played out so, so differently. Um, but it, it's so much harder when you're playing, yeah, essentially against uh, more than 11 players when some of your own defenders are, are essentially against you and your, your centre forward. Yeah, Stuart Atwell was not at his best yesterday either, was he? No. Referee was a uh, they they didn't need any help, uh, but he provided it regardless. It felt uh, there was a couple of challenges. Hoiberg, especially, I'm not sure how he got away with not getting. How was he not booked yesterday at all? How did he come away with a clean bill? Um, <laughs> outrageous. Uh, we did bring on Danny Welbeck and Ferguson uh, at the end there for Lamptey and Moda. Nothing really came of of either of those. Uh, Danny Welbeck did what Danny Welbeck does and looked like he may have a guilt edge chance at the back post, and it just hit his leg and fell away um yeah which is another one of those things that this is what we've got this is the striking caliber we've got um we'll give him credit they didn't like you say a bit sick wasn't he and then that was pretty much his first touch yeah yeah um uh tell you who i wasn't impressed by uh kulusevsky that they brought in them he loves slowing the play down doesn't he i the amount of times he got into space is he slower than Mope and or gross and he just doesn't want to even run i've never seen a player get more open space in front of him and refuse to run into it it was I, weird maybe it he was, was just playing smart then. he might have come on and been told to do that by conte we don't know yeah because, maybe i mean he's not what is he like 18 how old is he no, he's 21. He's, he's, yeah, he's, he's only like, young. He's a high-caliber player as well, I think, from what he's been doing overseas. I think that's definitely a game plan thing. I reckon he's just been told to hold the ball up until reinforcements come. Yeah. I, I, by the way, I, I'm glad you highlighted this because I think Mikey makes a really, really good point in the chat, and I was going to make the same question or ask the same question. Lamptey coming off, um, has he played a full 90 since returning? I feel like he did play one, but maybe I'm wrong. But... The reason why I think this is an important point is we just lose a lot when he goes off. And I know he didn't have his best game, but when you're pushing to try and score and you've you've got this momentum and then you take off like probably your most electric player and it just doesn't, it doesn't feel right. Even though if it's a positive change and you bring on a Ferguson and you bring on a, a Welbeck or whatnot, you're, the right side of our attack goes from being a very key dangerous focal point to basically being an afterthought and everything then funnels down the left or the center um, because as, as good as whomever it is that plays on the right side there when Lamptey goes off, whether it's Veltman pushing up or whatever it is that we did, it's not the same. And I think if you're Spurs and you're Spurs left back and the, the left side is center back, you go, oh, it's okay. We can see this one out. It's, yeah. It's a really good point just around managing his own minutes as well, just making sure that he can give us 70 every game because you start pushing him and then he's out for another couple of months. And you, I, I completely understand the justification behind it. And But you're, you're spot on. He permanently acquires two players to mark him, which enables us to go wherever else we want in the pitch and get a man up on, on the rest of the play. When you lose that, like you said, the left back goes, okay, I'll man mark whoever's going to come up, whether it's Feltman or another person working on the right. And then it changes because they, they don't need to double mark this one player anymore. Um, and that space then is foregone. So it, he is integral to what we play and, and how we play. 
Uh, and when yeah. he comes off, you're playing an entirely different game plan. Like it, it's not it's not that you're a like for like replacement and you're keeping the same structure. Your entire thing needs to change now because that right side is, like you said, an, an afterthought. So it is strange. Um, we do have to manage his minutes. That's just it is what it is. We get it and we understand that completely. But the game plan from 70 minutes onwards is always focused in two thirds of the pitch now rather than three. Um, yep. And it, it provides a very difficult way to play, especially if you're chasing the game. Yeah. Uh, he did play 90 minutes against Wolves and Brentford, yeah. um, but hasn't since. Um, the thing is, I think that I think that right wing back is most certainly on our shopping list in the summer um, because it was last summer, right? We were very close to Livramento. Um, we just refused to agree to the buyback, which looking at the way Livramento is playing, that was an astute decision from the Albion because it would have been brutal to lose him for 20 million, 24 mm-hmm. million or whatever it's going to be when they decide to snap him straight back out of Saints' uh, right, right back role. Um, it was essentially just a glorified loan, wasn't it? And it's still is. Uh, he's a superb player for Saints, but I think that that was a smart business decision from the Albion. Um, I, the fact that we were looking for someone tells me that we're we're probably going to do the same this 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 year because, like you said, it's a totally different game plan. Veltman can't do what he does, uh, and and we don't have anyone else capable of it unless we hope that Afia may well be that person in the future. Um, yeah. he was on the bench again yesterday. I know that Potter likes giving the chances to the youngsters, but I think it may be too soon for him. I wouldn't be surprised if we did go out and sign a right wing back uh, as a rotation for Lamptey. Um, but overall, uh, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because, like you say, it, it changes everything. And how many people, even if you do, even if you do sign Liveramento, you can't play the same thing because Lamptey is so different to any other right wing back out there, really. I almost think I don't even know if you sign a right wing back, I, I, an attacking right sided player. I think you sign a right mid. He's uh, especially at second half, the the, the twenty twenty five minutes he had, he he wasn't playing right wing back because he Vel- was, Vel- Vel- was right back. So yep. he was getting back and he was still running a hell of a lot. Uh, but his his defensive duties do diminish when or, or decrease when Veltman's on, and he gets to focus on that attacking influence. So I think Adam, you're right. I don't. I think we look for a right midfielder. Yeah, it's be good to if Lamptey gets tired or let's say whatever it is, you it'd be great. Seventy minutes, you bring on some absolute pace merchant that comes in, and the the, the left back just goes, "Oh my god, are you serious? I've just survived this onslaught, and now I've got to deal with this guy that's come on." Um, here's a stupid point. Uh, to me, I know we talked about like Dennis Undav being like an evolved Mope. Um, to me, Tarek Lamptey has a future as, and I don't mean this is in a negative light, but he's like an unevolved Adama Traore. Um, in that they're these players that are completely capable of beating four different people, um, can push up really high. The, the, the defender hates playing against them, but it's hard to, there's not a lot of end product all the time. And it's hard for them to see out 90 minutes because of the way that they play. Like, and, don't get me wrong, physically, they couldn't be more different. But I'm wondering whether we start to see Lamptey more as, as um, a, an, an attacker. And like he, someone mentioned in the chat, he, he plays a lot higher up than a right back um, traditionally in this system. 
And he is, we see him more as a creative attacking outlet on the right-hand side because that's what he feels like to me. That's where his talent is. Yeah. yeah. I told you it was a stupid point. But yeah. No, I think I think the only thing he offers defensively is that fear for them uh, in terms of the counter-attack. He nullifies a lot of that ability to counter-attack uh, if your centre-halves are in any way on their game, uh, which they were not yesterday. Uh, so I think that that helps... Um, you know, when we played Leicester a couple of years ago and he was, it was counter-attack central and Lamptey just beat Vardy about three times in a foot race and they stopped trying that. After yeah. A while. yeah. Uh, that can change everything because they had no answers after that. They had nothing, they couldn't do anything after that. And I think they ended up scoring from a set piece, which is classic Albion anyway. I believe mm-hmm. that Leicester were the worst in the league for scoring set pieces in that, in that year and they still scored against us. So, um, Final thought on the game or final thing to touch on on the game, really. Uh, the one bright spark, Basuma, yesterday, uh, just came back and decided he wanted to do just about everything, it felt like. Uh, scored the goal, although, like I said, it's a bit bit kind calling it a goal uh, when it was so brutally uh, wiped out, deflected. Um, he completed six dribbles yesterday, which was uh, a lot more than anybody else even bothered attempting. Kukurea had two attempts, which was the most uh, outside of Basuma. He was fouled five times, way more than anybody else, uh, had more shots than anyone else. Uh, and his defensive work was excellent too. Um, he broke up the play. Well, it, he did He did what Adam Lalana and Gross are just simply not capable of doing at this point in their career. Um, I'm not sure Gross ever was capable uh, given that he played Cam, like since he was a number ten for like his whole time in Germany, so I suspect that wasn't really ever asked of him. Uh, we all know he's gone in the summer, um, barring some kind of absolute miracle. Maybe we like scrape into the Conference League where we really, 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 really don't deserve to, uh, and he decides to sign a two-year extension or something. Um, he's going to go for a lot of money, regardless of only having a year on his contract. I saw Villa fans thinking they're going to get him for twenty million because he's got a year left. Um, Wake up. Uh, <laughs> you're going to be paying 40 million minimum for him because you're going to have a bit of a bidding war go on uh, regardless. And, and he's gone. But what a player he is. He just looks better than everybody else on the pitch yesterday. He is. Uh, <laughs> it's just superb. Um, and yeah, I, I thought the goal was lucky. But other than that, I thought he was just unbelievable yesterday. You know what's ironic is. Um, I think if you put Basuma in the Spurs team instead of like Harry Winks, they're a real force to be reckoned with. Um, because what they're missing is a proper box-to-box, agile, creative spark in the center of the pitch. And he is that. So when we talk about oh, going to all these... Well, <laughs> Villa fans, every football fan's deluded. But what I don't know what the Villa fans... They, they got, they've signed you know, a, a player that's most famous for slipping over and has, has, has helped basically the ultimate farmers league in, in getting Rangers to a title. And suddenly you think that they're some champions league club. What you signed Coutinho on loan, get a grip, but no, Basuma belongs at a Spurs, at a Liverpool, at a Man United. All of those clubs could benefit from Basuma. Arsenal were looking at him as well. And why, if, I, I've said this before, but if you're Basuma, he needs to understand his quality. Like, yeah, he's bigger than Brighton. Like you saw that yesterday. Not only was he better than the Brighton players, he was better than 90% of the Spurs players. Um, 
he's he's going to go to a big club and we need to ask for a lot of money and we we got to get back out to get get in the skoda and find someone else because <laughs> he's a serious talent it's crazy isn't it it's such a joy to watch as well like with what he's able to do um I think yesterday we saw that part of the game where he's able to dribble past two or three, grab the foul, and then end up in Spurs half and sort of release that pressure. Um, just so good. And by far our best midfielder it just re-emphasizes that. A couple of weeks ago, he's at the AFCON and we're getting some good results in. Um, some some people on social media and are saying we're, you know, we're we're fine without him. So, you know, should should we, you know, sell up now? I hope that all of that has now been redacted and you can see why this this player would improve any team in this league regardless of where he goes um you know barring potentially man city but he would fit into that man city team like a glove anyway yeah, i mean fernandinho so, is going to retire soon he could step you know you you think of any team in this league and you put Basuma in that center mid spot he would improve any team in this league i think we're very very lucky to have him um I hope, you know, if he doesn't stay, that we get him not only the money that we deserve um, in having such a player, but also that he goes to the right team as well. Um, because, yeah, the last thing you want to see is him at a Villa, or I wouldn't even want to see him at Arsenal at this point either, to be honest. I, I want I want to see him at a Champions League sort of chasing team, because that's where he deserves to be. He is that good. I think yeah. that the idea that people may well wait until January... Uh, I think is just not going to happen uh, as well. I think there's going to be Premier League teams that will not want him to go to Europe for nothing. Uh, I think you've got a Manchester United and a Spurs at minimum. Arsenal, if they're particularly deluded that year, uh, that probably know that he could single-handedly change their title challenge look with a with a good bit of run right if if you're not you can finally click because rangnick's supposed to like move upstairs right and they're supposed to bring in a manager in the summer so say they do and he's actually capable and decent and they bring in basuma as well and they make the changes they need to that united side is not a bad team like it has a lot of really talented players you add basuma into that holding midfield instead of fred and that's a, again, that's another real force to be reckoned with. You've got Son and Harry Kane banging forward and you've got Bissouma holding the line in the midfield and able to dictate play there again, like with the right bit of luck. And then, and then again, like, you know, Fernandinho retires, goes off into the sunset. It's, you just, must, a, it's, just, another, it's just another player that makes Manchester City... A, a, an unbelievable force like a steamroller and not only that but we all know how much Pep is a big fan of Potter he knows he probably knows that Bissouma could you know slide into that spot faster than most players he signs learning the Pep way he's already halfway there yeah there's going to be money spent on him despite what people think they're not idiots these Premier League clubs are not going to want a talent like that to go to Barcelona, Real Madrid, PSG, wherever, for nothing in January, where he could go to them in July and they could be possibly sitting second or first in the league. 
Barcelona would absolutely try and uh, restructure 45 different player contracts to pay them over 40 years to be able to <laughs> get, get Basuma in the team because Busquets looks like an old tank at this point. Um, yeah, and I also think the notion of waiting till January to sell him is 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 just, no, it, it won't because it, if you're Brighton, you can't allow that to happen because it changes the whole perception of your season i think you need to go into the transfer window in this summer and know what your general plan is right which is okay we need to, we're going to offload basuma and here are the players that we're going to bring in if you leave that to january suddenly you end up with that domino effect where you're pseudo scrambling um and let's not forget the added element that the winter world cup this year is going to bring to teams because that is not only going to create more fatigue uh, in the midst of the, the middle of the season. Um, and it's also going to potentially open up more injuries. Like teams are going to need to have their shit, frankly, together before the winter. Not just that, but you've got Trossard, McAllister, Mope, all of these players are on the same time frame as Basumara. So yeah. it's not just him. If you're if you're if Leo doesn't want to start sign on, you've got to offload him too. You've got to offload some major players. Um I think McAllister will sign on. I don't think that's too much of a problem. Uh, I, I honestly think Trossard will probably sign on too. Um, I would be surprised if Neil doesn't. But if he feels super upset with the Yundav move, maybe he doesn't. Uh, do, do, well, we, but, do we offer Neil a new contract? Yeah, I think you've got to with what you've yeah. invested in him at this point. Although it depends what he's asking for. I suppose uh, if he's asking for something outrageous, then I don't think you can. No, but I think there's a lot of room for like major flux this off season with the fact that we yeah. have so many big names uh, out of contract in the next six to 18 months, because Lalana's out of contract. Welbeck's out of contract. Duffy's out of contract. Burns gone. Gross is out of contract. This that's this summer. That's, that's not even a worry about the next year. That's pretty, that's pretty big, isn't it? There's a lot. I mean, we we had a huge overhaul, I think, last summer with all of that Deadwood going out, right? Like, we had a huge amount of players exodus for the better. You mm. had your Propers, your Andones, your Lucadias eventually, uh, and, and a bunch of older Deadwood that you managed to get rid of throughout that year. Uh, and this summer feels like it's going to be the final kind of, like, just wipe out of everything that ever was Chris Hutton almost uh, with, with Pascal Gross probably going as well. Yeah, it's going to be insane. But in between now and then, uh, we're going to have to decide whether we're a top 10 team, a top 15 team or a top 17 team. Um, and that will then very much dictate what most of these players do in terms of leaving and what we can do with bringing players in. Because we're either going to be scouring the Polish first division for starters, or we're going to potentially be getting decent talent from more proven leagues. And that's no disservice to the, the Polish first division where we've obtained quality players. But point being is that there's a very there's a very big difference with this summer transfer window. If you lose some players, it's great that we sign these youngsters that then come in and and and, and prove themselves and become big players. But if you don't sign some proven talent this summer and you lose some players, we suddenly look like a team in transition. And then you're you're talking, you're you're backwards, right? You're then like, can we survive this year? Is this a can we avoid relegation? 
And to mention you've got Lamptey, it's pro who's massively in demand too. We may be seeing we may be seeing the same kind of money that Ben White had thrown at him this summer yeah. for Garrett Lamptey. Can do. I, and you have to be aware of the precedent you're setting as a team to other players if you start selling up. If you start seeing Basuma exit, Lamptey exit as a potential top ten Premier League player looking outwards in to Brighton saying, Oh, they're they're selling all their best players. Why why would I go there mm. if I can see them moving backwards? So I think there's there's an awareness there that if you start to lose Leo, Lamptey, um Basuma, uh, they already got rid of Ben White last year. We know the ins and outs because we watch it and we're through and through. But from an outsider looking in, you know, why are you selling one of your starting centre backs for 50 mil? I thought you guys want to be top 10. Um, so th there's that as well. If you see too many really good players leave in the next 12 months, it is also difficult to start bringing in that same quality because it doesn't look like you're building something special. Uh, it looks like almost a borderline revolving door where you go in, get better and then leave. Um, yeah. And I know that's the business model and I completely understand that, but you need to be keeping these core teams. Basuma is that spine or that spinal or one of the spinal elements of that team that if we want to get somewhere, we do need him. But I think we are all resigned to the fact that he is just simply too good. I think what Mikey says in the chat is one of those things too, though, right? Uh, that, they might see it as just being a good stepping stone. We allow players to leave yeah. like those big clubs where some don't, and that causes problems. Um, it's about finding the balance. And yes. Southampton, Southampton were the blueprint for that and then failed to find the balance, and it almost cost them everything. Um, it did cost them everything. They managed to come back, and they almost did it again. Uh, I trust Bloom and co a lot more than Southampton's owners and infrastructure. Uh, but it is still a huge balancing act and they are not perfect and there will be mistakes made along the way. And uh, we need to hope it's not one that costs us Premier League status. Yes. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And I think we're going to model ourselves at one club and earnings is a little bit stupid saying this while they're getting battered but like Borussia Dortmund in my mind are the ideal team to look at and see what a perfect state Brighton is um decent uses when I say decent is underserving but for the most part Dortmund's talent has been through smart purchases from other leagues where players need to prove themselves um and we've seen that time and time again especially they come and buy from the Premier League and then sell them back to a massive profit um you don't need to destroy your club to do that, but it has to be done in phases. You can't, and this is what Southampton did, right? They cashed in and became the Liverpool feeder club, but then realised, oh, wait, hold on. We haven't got any half-decent players left. Well, let's try and just turtle up and survive. So we can't do that. But I also think, you know, Mikey's correct in the chat that there is, we do have to have a realisation as fans. And I think if we want to attribute a figure to it, this club is not going to turn down right now or for the next few seasons a £50 million bid for any player. If someone comes in with a £50 million check for any one of our players, we sell them. Um, but we are not going to buy a £50 million player. Simple as that. Um, we'll take the £50 million and turn that into two or three players. And that's the way the club's going to work. And you just hope one of those players becomes your next £50 million player. I think we, I think we have trust in that, right? There's, it's, you, you look at the purchases that we've made, the the Undav for seven million, Kolowski as well, who's there, 
we we bought for eight yeah. to ten million. Eight, yeah, you, you're looking at those players and going, okay, as long as they maintain that value and we get something out of them, whether it be you know through loans and just seeing if it works, um, I, it's just a a strategy to try and find those hidden gems. The Abdulassima is a perfect case. We knew nothing about him, but if he has still the <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he has the potential in some small capacity, if there's a tiny chance yeah. that he turns into that player, then we will do it because it's a risk that we are willing to take with the money that we've received from the Ben White sale, for example. So yeah, it, it, it and it makes complete sense. I think yeah, and to Mikey's point, he's absolutely right. It's it's going down that Southampton road and getting rid of too many players in one go that I would be fearful of. Um, like you said, if money comes in and a 50 million check comes in, but it comes in for Leo, Lamptey and Basuma all in one go, then, you know, that's that's where my fear lies. That's, yes. yes. It's scary, but exciting, isn't it? Because you think this team with the recruitment structure they have with 150 million pounds risk, <laughs> like, not risk-free because it's not, but like net spend free almost you know what i mean like you're not having to spend 150 million pound from tony's bank account it's coming straight directly to you to see what they could possibly do with it is exciting uh but also the thought of it is really scary thinking of those three being gone <laughs> because that could just decimate the entire team morale wise uh and performance wise um it's a this summer's going to be a, a very very interesting. I know we're miles away. It's still February, but this summer's going to be a, a. You're going to see a lot of very crisis mode tweets from fans. I think as this summer goes on, um, could be an entertaining one if you enjoy watching Twitter meltdowns. Uh, I mean, it's oh, hell. Yeah. It's February, and we've lost to Spurs in the fourth round of the FA Cup, and you're already getting Twitter meltdowns. Imagine what it's going to be like if we start offloading Basuma and Lamptey in a space of two weeks for 112 million quid, like, it's going to be absolute chaos. Uh, Premier League-wise, before we wrap, uh, in a result that helped nobody yesterday, <laughs> uh, and I mean nobody, uh, Norwich and Newcastle were not looking at that result, and Everton really are not looking at that result and going, oh, thank God, someone's, you know, all they've done is just gain an extra incremental point on them. Uh, and Watford and Burnley... Burnley will have been seeing this game as as a borderline must-win sitting rock bottom at the table. Uh, and Watford will be seeing this one as a six-pointer with a new manager bounce. Uh, and nothing happened. Uh, Burnley versus Watford ended nil-nil. Uh, that's one of Burnley's games in hand that came to absolutely nothing. Uh, and Watford are now back well in the mix in terms of games played. Uh, that was their game in hand on Newcastle. Uh, and gained a point enough to put Newcastle below them on goal difference. But not enough. Uh, next up for us is Watford. Uh, Roy Hodgson enjoys playing against us um, very much so. Uh, but I think we should have too much against them in a yeah. week's time. That that Watford team, especially the way that Roy likes to play, um, I don't think it's capable of doing the defensive duties that Roy maybe likes to play with. So it'd be it'd be interesting to see. I mean, we, yeah. when we when we played Watford at the beginning of the season, their their defense was pretty much non-existent. So it'll be interesting. Like you said, he he knows how to play against us. I don't know if he has the right personnel to stop us potentially getting a good result here. This could go. Who knows with 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 Hodgson and Watford? Like it's. 
I don't, I don't, it's hard to make a prediction on how this one will play out. The, the thing that gives me a little bit of hope um, outside of Watford not being able to defend, as we talked about, uh, is the fact that they've, they've got to play West Ham on Tuesday. Uh, we get to chill out, get our players back from the varying illnesses that they've suffered from. Not not great for Webster, though. Uh, no, no, no. Maybe we'll stick him in the under 23 and see if we get game in. Uh, although, based on their result, maybe we don't do that. Um, so, yeah, they've got to go to London. I said go to London. They've got to go pseudo across London and play West Ham. Uh, and then they've got what? What is that? Four days rest before they have to you know, play us. So, they do have a returning Dennis and Saar by that point, though. Saar will the- be coming fresh off a AFCON final. Uh, so he hasn't really had any rest whatsoever. I was going to say, we definitely wouldn't call that fresh. They might not play him, right? Um, Dennis will be. Dennis will be fresh uh, after getting himself sent off uh, and single-handedly ruining my FPL. Um, Same. (laughs) Captain. Captain banned Dennis. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But the game that interests me for the next set of fixtures is um, obviously our game, but... But the Newcastle-Everton game is going to be very, very interesting um, because we get to see whether Frank can... Obviously, the game yesterday created some spark, but that's going to be a really defining game for that bottom bottom three because if Everton lose and Newcastle win, the Everton fans are going to be absolutely cacking themselves. Um, Rightfully so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then vice versa, the Newcastle fans come off the back of that win that they just got and then go, we've just signed all these players. We can't even beat lowly Everton. Uh, that's an intriguing game. Because after that, that's that's Newcastle's last easy game until the final running. Because after that, I know I've said it a few times, after that, they've got Villa, West Ham, Brentford, us, Chelsea, Palace, Spurs, Wolves, <laughs> Leicester. Like they don't get an easy game until a- late April is their next one after that, where they where they look at that as a relegation candidate and think this is like a must win, must take points. Yeah. Outside of that Everton game, after that, every single game they're going into, and the majority of them are away. They're away at West Ham, away at Brentford, away at Chelsea, away at Spurs. Like a lot of those are like, let's just hope that these new players can make a big difference and we can nick a point or take three, uh, unless they're already on that full delusion train and they think that they're going to finish 10th now that they sign those players. But I think they are the vocal minority. Um, I think most of them are thinking, let's pray to God this is enough uh, to keep us in the league. Yeah. Uh, on, our, on the outside of things as well, though, February is a very interesting month. Because you've got one for us. Uh, you've yeah. obviously got this Watford game. Uh, let's, let's have to walk away with not a draw there, ideally. Man United uh, in absolute disarray. Uh, I, I genuinely, like, in terms of meltdowns of a club, I mean, you have Prison FC get another player and then you've just, you've then just gone and crashed out of the FA Cup on penalties. Uh, you're No one seemingly likes your manager. Your star player is having a strop every single game. Uh just what a great time to play them. So we'll lose 4-0. Uh, and then we go in and play Burnley, Villa and Newcastle. Well, Newcastle's in March. But this is a really intriguing slate of games that we have. That We've talked about this before. This would define our season. It won't be defined by the games at Liverpool, Man City, Arsenal and Spurs. This, we should have, our destiny in some senses should be figured out by these games of this month. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's defining, isn't it? Around where where we're probably going to end up. If we, if we draw and lose the next 
five games. Um, we're sort of, I guess, we're, we're looking towards the the bottom half of the table, maybe a twelfth or a thirteenth. It is. It's going to be exciting. I mean, regardless, just to see what we can do against these teams and see where where we're going to end up. Because like you said, it, it gets a lot more difficult when you start getting to mid-March and then you start seeing out the season. Um, again, we with the optimist hat on, it's just nice not to be looking over our shoulders right now um, and understanding, well, where are these points coming from? Instead, we're saying, well, how many points can we get? as opposed to how many do we need? Uh, so yeah. yeah, from that, there's a, a complete contrast to last season and we're playing well. We are getting the results. Awful FA Cup exit aside, I think, you know, these these next few games, we should be excited about how many points we should be seeing. Yep. Yeah, good record at Big Ridge Road. We generally play pretty well against Watford at their place. Um, and then obviously we've got Burnley and Villa at home as well. So Old Trafford is the only real tough place to go. Um I mean, obviously, we could end up getting dicked by Watford now, seven nothing. But it's it's one of those games where you still look at it and think we should be taking a result away from there, uh, barring some shenanigans. We've um, got we've got to get got to get to that uh, that draw record as quickly as possible as well. So yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll see important. Five extra draws the next five games. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. Um, we're what sat at. 12 12 and 17 is the record so 18 would be the new one um yeah we've got a long way to go uh but i think there's i can i can pick out like 10 games where we're gonna so (laughs) (laughs) i don't think it'll be too hard to get there uh six draws to go to to make the record over 38 games um it's looking more and more likely isn't it let's be honest uh you wouldn't want to join a club like that (laughs) Uh, no, I thought it's a terrible Spurs game, but focus is now entirely on the Premier League. That's the positive spin. And you know, we talked about this before. You signed a guy who current statistics in a promoted club has gone into a top two league, started 26 games, scored 20 goals and assisted 10 goals. That's who you're getting in the summer. Yep. Not a bad so, place to be, is it? <laughs> what? And I mean, even if he replicates... Fifty percent of that in the Premier League at seven million pounds, it, it's peanuts, isn't it? You know, for for the for the caliber that we're looking like we're getting, um, I know that that's just Bloom putting a fiver from his right pocket to his left pocket, but it it's still a decent fee for what you're getting. Yep, agree. There was right. there, there was one thing. Just I I. It's probably not the right thing to bring up right at the end of a podcast, but we we, we talked about little... Ukraine and Russia. Mm, nearly. Um, so just around all of the scrutiny that Watford and Udinese used to get, all of the scrutiny around owning multiple clubs, and now we are one of them. Um, I've seen, again, social media is, is king and everything, but just around the comfortability factor of, okay, we are one of those clubs now. Now that we've seen categorically one move from USG to Brighton and we're starting to see that come to fruition a lot more is that actually the realisation that we are going to or have become one of those clubs where actually we're utilising a European connection to get cheaper players. Um, A lot of scrutiny when the Watford and Udinese started doing it. I know Midgetland and Brentford also do it as well. Um, But we're starting to see that come to fruition now and we are one of those uh, if, if anything is to be said about it so it was just interesting that i saw and and thought to bring it up that you know 
obviously a lot of lambasting around clubs doing this and we're also actually now seeing it at this club um whether you like it or not um that is the reality at this point see i don't mind it too much i think that the main reason because you've not seen the same kind of lambasting against brentford and you've not seen it against us yet everybody is actually saying how smart and forward thinking we are I think the reason Watford got so hammered for it was that one promotion season where I think like eight or nine of their regular starters were not their player. Mm. Uh, because I think he also owned like Granada or Catafe or someone in the in the Spanish division as well. Um, and he essentially loaned like their entire subs bench to Watford. Uh, and they got the promotion that way. And I think I think I think that's where it came in where they got a lot of criticism for that. I think for the most part, the acknowledgement that clubs at our level are going to do what they're doing is accepted. And if they do it in the right way, it's it's a borderline admired. I think Watford were... An edge case. Bat- I, I understand that. ...for it due to the championship. And I think that they've been unable to shake that ever since. And it's probably because they go through managers like Hot Dinners and like, just like they've just got a shit reputation as a team in general. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and think- there was agent stuff going on there as well, wasn't there? It wasn't just quiet. Yeah. There was there was a lot to it. It's probably yeah. the wrong example to use, but I I think they set the precedent of how you could be scrutinised for for using such a strategy. I think that you're right. They went about it completely the wrong way. Really weird agent fees and really weird to and fro with players just moving from one place to another every month. But yeah, uh, yeah. I just, I just thought it's an interesting point. I know that we've seen a lot of teams do it, and um, we're now one of them. Well, the, I think that the only, if we give ourselves some form of credit to it, is the difference in this particular case. Some of it luck, some of it judgment. Is that the club that we're plucking from is potentially about to win the top tier championship in their country and and play in the Champions League. Um, it's not like we've gone in and absolutely sort of just torn the, the copper wiring out of the, the walls of one club <laughs> and be like, all right, see ya, the premiership's way more important than your league. Uh, so there is, there it's is just, that. As, as long as everyone's winning, I think. Yeah, it's like a mutually, it's a mutually beneficial situation. Uh, and we talked to, Josh mentioned this last week, I think, US, USG get players of the calibre they wouldn't have ever got before because of this setup. Um, yeah. They might not get them for longer than a year or two, but they do benefit. Um, so it's not just one of those sort of um, one club is, is the only beneficiary from this setup. But yeah, it's it's a little bit dodgy. But, it, you know, can't hate the player <laughs> and all that. Hate the game. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think you're wrong. It is. It's a product, right? And I think that Alex in the chat says it right. It It's the way to counteract having some oligarchical country own you and you can just buy everyone this this is the way we have to if we're having to play the game on on their patch right we're having to play these nation states these shakes these russian billionaires on their on their playground this this is our way of trying to level those odds up as best we can and that's fair right i think that's that's the problem um it's all wrong. <laughs> it's not great. <laughs> it's not great. But yeah, fighting fire with fire is not the worst place to be. I think um, it's just a shitty, shitty experience to have to deal with it in the first place. Yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. All right, boys. Have a wonderful rest of your week, and uh, we will speak again post Watford, um, which. 
going to be an interesting one. We'll see how it goes yeah. uh, away at Vicarage Road. Absolutely. Cheers, all. Thanks for yeah. listening. Thanks, Thank boys. you so much. Bye.